On today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast, we talk about what it looks like to lead your family into Sabbath rest. Before we get into that, though, I want to thank my friends over at Hyatt Health for making today's episode possible. I know some of you dads listening may not be giving too much thought about the vitamins that your kids are taking, or maybe you just leave it up to your wife to make those decisions, but I want to challenge you to give this some thought. Hyatt Health was actually started by two dads who realized the vitamins they were giving their kids were essentially sugar-filled candy in disguise, so they decided to do something about it. Did you know that 93% of kids don't eat enough fruits and vegetables? And we all know that what kids eat instead are chicken fingers, mac and cheese, processed foods, ice cream, and more. And the vitamins that are supposed to fill in those nutritional gaps are based on out-of-date nutritional guidelines from the 1980s. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. My kids absolutely love these vitamins. They're made from 12 farm-fresh fruits and vegetables and supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals known to help support a healthy immune system, energy levels, brain function, mood, teeth, bones, and more. Most children's vitamins are filled with 5 grams of sugar and can cause a variety of health issues. Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and is perfect for picky eaters. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. It's manufactured here in the United States with globally sourced ingredients, each selected for optimal bioavailability and absorption. We've worked out an exclusive offer with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Dad Tired listeners receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com forward slash Dad Tired or enter the code Dad Tired at checkout. That's H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash Dad Tired. Health dot com slash dad tired and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Again, go to hiahealth.com forward slash dad tired or enter the promo code dad tired at checkout. Hey guys, you've probably heard me talk quite a bit about our family leadership program. Uh, one of the things that we do in the program is we have a live monthly training. So everyone from every cohort comes together or has the opportunity to come together and we do a live training either that I teach or we bring in some author or speaker or somebody to present on some kind of topic. And these are exclusive to the Family Leadership Program. You can't find them anywhere else. It's only for the guys who are part of that program. That being said, back in January, we did a live training with Jeremy Pryor, who's been on our podcast before, but he came and he talked to our students about rest and Sabbath. And I've heard him talk a lot about Sabbath. We've done episodes in the past on Sabbath, but I was so compelled by what he shared to the guys in the program that day I even told him that day, like, oh man, this was so, so good. I want to share it on the podcast, but I'm not going to because this is only for our family leadership program. But I've gone back and forth. And since it's been since January, it's been six months now, seven months. Uh, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to share it. And I, part of it is because it's just, it's a huge resource for you. Like, as you listen to today's interview, I know you're going to leave inspired to want to start practicing Sabbath with your family. If it's not something you're currently practicing or you feel like you're doing it, but it's clunky and you just can't get a good rhythm. I promise you today's episode is going to be really encouraging to you. But I also just want to give you a glimpse of what our family leadership program is like and what it's like to be part of these live trainings. So if you want to be part of it and you want to be part of the family leadership program, we'd love to have you join. We open a new cohort every month and that you can be part of. So if you go to dadtired.com forward slash lead, L-E-A-D, dadtired.com forward slash lead, you can jump in the program. You'll have all kinds of material to go through, but you'll also have lifetime access to these monthly trainings that we do for our leadership program guys. That being said, we're going to be talking about Sabbath today. 
the context will be a little bit different because it wasn't a podcast interview. It was a Zoom training. So just kind of bear with that. But the content is incredible. I'll jump out of the way and let Jeremy jump right into the topic of Sabbath. Here we go. Yeah, rest is a very serious problem for our culture, as you guys know. One of the probably biggest misconceptions or misnomers about rest is that all you have to do to rest is stop working. But it's not as simple as that. (laughs) It's like after about an hour, you're looking at your kids, your spouse, you're like, what? Are we resting? This doesn't feel restful. Like, you know, and so it's not something that you can just turn on or off. It really is a skill. And it's one that we are pretty unfamiliar with. I, I like to think about the whole journey into figuring out rest as finding your off button. It's like, where is that? Like, where is that part of me that just, I could just, you know, and I think that what really is the goal is that you want to have a situation where you are fully recharged after 24 hours. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if you could experience that full kind of rest so that your tank is full every week? So my journey into this kind of has a couple of streams. So I met my wife in Jerusalem. I was there to study Hebrew. I wasn't there necessarily to learn any cultural stuff. I was mostly kind of curious at the time about theology, but I was definitely intrigued when you're in Jerusalem, it's bizarre. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but the whole city just shuts down. The convenience stores literally say open 24 six. And so when you're in a culture where that is the expectation that that's the rhythm, everyone knows that everybody, you know, you just feel the quiet, all of a sudden the cars disappear from the streets. And if you're walking around and I had this experience once you can literally, the only thing I could hear was the sound of fathers chanting blessings over their children. You know, that was the Friday night experience. I was just like, what is this magical world in which I have just entered? And so again, as somebody who wasn't, you know, really very interested in in that initially, I I really was imprinted by that experience. So fast forward, met my wife there. We got married. She wasn't Jewish. I wasn't Jewish. So we were like, that's just a Jewish thing, right? Like, so we didn't really pursue that, but it was deeply impacting me. The next kind of stage in my journey was I, I heard a a pastor just speak about that passage in the book of Mark, where the disciples are walking through the grain fields and eating the kernels of grain on the Sabbath. This is terrible. And they, you know, get confronted. The Pharisees confront Jesus and like, look at your disciples. They're, they're breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus, you know, says that really famous line, the Sabbath, man was not created for the Sabbath. How do they say it? The Sabbath is not created for man or man is not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What he's saying, of course, is that it's a gift to us. We're not created to serve it. It was created to serve us. And it's a really interesting thing for Jesus to say when he's being rebuked for breaking the Sabbath. They weren't really breaking the Sabbath. There's no rules like that. It was a man-made rule that they had been breaking. And Jesus was really excited about breaking man-made rules in the Gospels. And so what I realized was I was kind of rejecting Sabbath because it was legalistic. And it was Old Testament, and it was maybe even part of a different culture than the Christian culture that I grew up in. But Jesus was saying, but it's a gift. And so my first step into the Sabbath was was that the, the, the feeling of, I don't have to do this. I don't believe that, that the Bible, it requires Christians to keep a Sabbath day. There's even a verse in Colossians where Paul literally says, let no one judge you by a Sabbath day. 
And so I see over this entire conversation, a giant, no judgment zone. Literally, Paul said that you are not to judge one another in the church according to Sabbath. So what category is it in? If it's not a law that we're supposed to figure out if we're going to keep or break, Jesus said what it was. It's a gift. You can decide to keep it or not. You can decide to use it or not. And so I just feel like the first thing is there's tons of freedom here. Like no one should be feeling judgment or shame about, do you keep one? Or I really believe that that is not appropriate in, in the kingdom around this topic. It's explicitly stated as not appropriate. But if you want to use it as a gift or you want to explore this gift of the Sabbath, what are you exploring? What does that mean? And so I decided that, and there was a moment where, so I have five kids. I think at the time we had four kids, you know, there's a moment in that I've discovered now on the other side, my kids are much older now. I have a couple of them are adults, but when you know, we had all these little kids where life got really hard and really stressful and I didn't know how to lead my family really well. I couldn't figure out how to bring a lot of faith rhythms into my house. I tried lots of things. I felt super awkward. I had been a youth pastor at one point, and that was really comfortable. I could get in front of a hundred kids and you know lead a youth group, but I couldn't get in front of my you know my family and lead them. Very strange. And so I had this sort of in this incredibly stressful season of our family. I I remembered back to the time in Jerusalem, and I put that together with this idea that it's a gift and I can receive it. And I remember just getting in my car, driving to the mall, walking to J.C. Penney. And I'm like, I'm going to like buy something to make a Sabbath happen. So like right in front of me was there's a display of these dishes that were like 50 or 80% off or some ridiculous amount. And they were these very weird looking dishes. They had like fruit and I don't know, it was not aesthetically beautiful at all, but it looked really different. And so the thing that I was like, okay, I'm going to get these dishes and these dishes are going to like, you know, so I bought this whole giant box of dishes stuck to my car. Then I went to Yankee Candle and I asked the lady who worked there, what is the scent that will never go out? Like hundred years from now, if Yankee Candle is still a business, what scent will you guys still sell? And she walked me over this section and she said, this one. And it was the sage and citrus smell. I'm like, okay, that's going to be the smell of Sabbath. So I bought a bunch of candles. I bought a bunch of dishes. I drove home and um, told my family, we're going to launch a Sabbath. We're going to like have a meal with these really weird looking plates and we're going to light this candle and we're going to smell this candle and it's going to be rest. So that, that was my first foray into keeping Sabbath as a family. We kind of iterated from there. So I would say the first year we would like have a meal. And then the next week we were so stressed, we forgot that we were supposed to keep a Sabbath and it kind of was on or off for about a year. But I would say that launching the Sabbath with a, a family meal was super helpful. And, you know, one of the things that if you read in Genesis one, one of the strange things it talks about when God created the world is he kept keep saying it's evening and morning the first day, it's evening and morning the second day, it's evening and morning the third day, whatever. In other words, the day started in the evening when the sun set, which is the way that the Jews count time. Rabbis literally on the Sabbath, the way they determine that when the Sabbath starts is when the third star in the sky is visible, it's now the next day. And so Friday night when the third star is visible, that's the beginning of the Sabbath. That's when, when it's launched. And so I really like this idea. Again, there's no pressure. You can do it whenever you want. We were doing it on Saturday night and we were resting on Sunday. That's kind of how we started. And we did that for seven years. And so we would light a candle, have this meal, and it would really signify rest. I bought this box and we, one of the things that it says in Deuteronomy 5, 
God says about the Sabbath is to remember that you were slaves. And so I would tell the gospel story. Remember, we were, how were we slaves? We were locked in slavery to sin. You know, what happened? Jesus came. Okay, Jesus is a light of the world. We'd open the box, take out the candle, light the candle, representing Jesus as our light. So I would just tell the gospel to my kids every week at that family meal. And it was solidified in the idea of rest. And for me, I would say one of the deepest things about Sabbath is is its connection to the gospel. Because the gospel is, it's not about my works, it's not about my righteousness, it's not about my trying, it's about what he did. It's his finished work that actually I'm resting in. But when do you actually do that? When do you actually rest in the gospel? And so I think you're supposed to, of course, rest in the gospel all the time. But man, it's really cool to practice that on a weekly basis right after you declare the gospel over your family. We are resting. And so that was the beginning for, for me. And, and it really launched my spiritual leadership in my own home because we just said, this is sacred. Like we're going to do this meal. And over that course of that year, when it was on or off, we eventually got to the place where it was like on every single week. We just got better and better. And this is a skill. Like for us, I tell a lot of people like, man, if it's stressful and you're just trying to launch it, paper plates and pizza, like whatever you can sustain, that's how you do it. You start with something sustainable, light a candle. if That works good something that'll make it set apart, something that'll make your kids look forward to it. We started very early to have like a special drink for the Sabbath. If you want to make sure that you keep a Sabbath meal, just do something with sugar that is only that time of year. It's totally sacred to that meal. And your kids will remind you endlessly about, hey, remember that thing? Like, let's do that thing. The thing with the grape juice or whatever. So we did that. That helped us, you know, kind of get into the rhythm of having that day. And then we would go to sleep and rest and wake up and rest. That's one of the reasons why I like starting it in the evening and then ending it in the evening of the next day. So for about seven years, we did this. We would rest on Saturday evening and then we would rest all day Sunday. I would say another massive paradigm shift that had to be core for me was that if you grew up in a Christian home, a lot of times there's an association of Sabbath with boredom. And this is true in the Jewish world too. Like there's just lots of rules, lots of things you can't do. And it's primarily associated with a bunch of things that you're not allowed to do. And I would say that the thing to nail with the Sabbath is it's got to be the day your kids look forward to the most. The idea of the Sabbath was supposed to be the zenith of the week. It's the time in which you, the idea of rest was really soul rest. One of the things that I often do when we launch into our Sabbath is I ask my kids, What are the two kinds of rest? And so I've trained them kind of to think through this in this way. So um, what's the first kind of rest? Well, the first kind of rest is I'm exhausted. You know, like I got to take a break. Like, and so that's sort of like physical rest. But what's the other kind of rest? And so what they'll say is the other kind of rest is when you're done. Like you might be working on a project for six months and you might finish the project at 10 a.m. one day. And you still have some energy left, but you're done. That is a different kind of rest. That is what we talk about as soul rest. Soul rest is when it's done. And I would say, what is what kind of rest are we going to experience on the Sabbath? Yeah, we do experience physical rest. We need to take a break. But on this side of the cross, what's really encouraging is that what we're primarily entering into is soul rest. It's to say that, you know what, there's a giant project, which is to be perfectly righteous before God that has been totally accomplished for us. The hardest job, the hardest work that we could ever do, the kind of work that would allow our soul never to rest. And all of that work, the hardest project of all 
life has been totally accomplished on our behalf. And the only thing that's left for us to do is to enjoy it, is to receive it. So, man, that's not boring. That's not like, let's make a bunch of rules up. Like, it's like, let's enter in to what Jesus has won for us in the gospel. And so because of that, it's so important that, that as a father, the association that you're developing between your rhythm of rest and your your kid's experience of rest be an association of real joy. And so, of course, it could be like unlimited screens and like, you know, like, so there could be so many ways of an endless candy and like, yes, okay, so there's obviously going crazy. And so how do you then actually design a day of rest? And this is going to look very different for you, depending on what season your family's in. So we've gone through, and now we've been practicing a day of rest. Today, we do it from Friday night until Saturday evening. And like I said, our kids are much older. So I think it's been about 20 years we've been keeping a Sabbath. And the way that we started to really build the skill of resting for a day, I describe this, you know, as finding your off button. And that is we break our Sabbath into different chunks. And then me and my wife would, so we would kind of like Lego bricks. We would just kind of like put different things in those chunks. And then we would have a debriefing meeting every week at our me and my wife do a meeting and just say, what was life-giving and what what felt like work? Okay, let's focus on that. What was going on in that block? Okay, let's tweak that. Let's change that. Let's try this. Okay, let's try that next week. We do that. And then did, and the idea isn't to keep a schedule. The idea is, again, to create freedom, is to have the most enjoyable day you possibly can have. But for a lot of people, having 24 hours of zero things to even direct your, your action or attention is not restful. Right. And so if that is restful to you, I would say, absolutely do it, you know, but especially if you have kids or little kids, that's, that can be really, that can be really exhausting. If you guys have questions, we, I can dive into what those blocks would look like. Yeah. Jeremy, um, when you, but that's the format. Are you, when you say blocks, are you talking about time slots? Is that like, yeah, you, like the way I do it is I have, so in my Sabbath, so I try to design the most restful day I possibly can. And I, I know what it is. I can walk you guys through. So the most restful day. So the first block is the morning, right? So what do I do when I wake up? For me, you know, I sleep in, I wake up around, you know, eight or nine o'clock. Then there's a particular coffee shop I like to go to. And, you know, and I do this journaling and I spend about two hours with the Lord. I listen to worship, I journal, like I do some reading and it's very open-ended. I'm not looking at the clock, but around like 11, 1130, I tend to think, oh, I want to be with somebody. So then I usually come home and take one of my kids and I take them on a lunch date. And I just want to like, I want there to be like no pressure, just like, let's just talk. And so I have a deep conversation with one of my kids. Then I come home usually around one or two. And then I hang out with April for, uh, for an hour or two, I usually like read. And then we have a nap, you know, and just kind of relax together and take a nap and enjoy each other. And then we go out on a date and, and we have like, you know, places we like to go. That's my favorite time to do date night because there's like I have so much energy. If I do it any other night of the week, I'm like exhausted. If I do it after the Sabbath, I'm like my dad comes over and runs a whole game night with all of our kids while April and I go and do a do a date. So that's my Sabbath. I got older kids. That's not what all what it looked like with little kids. So we can talk about it's much more challenging, but definitely doable. There's lots of things you can do to make it restful, but it's also way more challenging. But I can be pretty designed around me. April has, my wife has her own. My kids each have the way they design their Sabbath days. But this has been iterating, 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 iterating. And I'm telling you guys, man, 
when I go through that and it's like I said, it launches with an epic family meal. Like we have usually 15 to 20 people that come over on Friday night for dinner, almost all family members, extended family. Um, mm-hmm. It's very restful, but that took us like almost 10 years to figure out to have an incredibly restful, like epic multi-generational family meal. And I can go into detail how we do that and how we clean up and everything. But again, it took us 10 years to figure that out. When we first started, it was like just us and we're trying to survive with our little kids and you know not hurt each other. But I would say that, yeah, that's super restful. So the blocks, just get back to your question, Jared, for me, some people like to block it out in hours. That's too exhausting for me. I just like to think about like morning, kind of noon, afternoon, evening, and then obviously Friday evening as well. Or if you do it on, on Sunday, Saturday evening, those are like five blocks or so that we're constantly, you know, two to three hour blocks that we're just like playing with so that we figure out what's really restful for everyone in the family and feels like an epic experience, like really the zenith of the week for each of our, each of the members of our family. Man, I have like a million questions based on everything you just said, but I don't want to steal everyone's time. So there were so many amazing nuggets and uh, helpful stuff there. Does anyone else have a question? I guess I'd be more just curious because you know how you said you, you have older kids and I'm at the stage where I have little kids and what does formulating what that Sabbath looks like? And, you know, since this program has started, we've gone, done different things. What did your early Sabbath look like when your kids were little? So the way that and we, we went through a lot of iterations on this as well. The first thing that happened on, so we were doing it mostly on Sunday. My wife would go early in the morning and she had a three hour block alone and I had the kids. And so I would make like a breakfast for the kids and then she would go and totally recharge. And we had make an agreement between my wife and I that if the kids were breathing when she came home, then I, it was like a 10 (laughs) because, and so I I found a way to kind of like relax and, you know, she, we were able to, when she came home, like, okay, is the house too much of a mess or how do we fix that? So that was like the morning. And then we went through stages where it felt like a really good thing to have like an outing with the kids to burn off some of their energy. And so a lot of it was, so we started to, and I would do this during the week. I, I had like a, you know, a Google doc with like lots of different things we could do. So we would, you know, there's be little hikes we would go on, or we would go bike riding or, you know, something for usually an hour or two during the winter months. We live in Cincinnati. It's kind of cold here in the winter. So we would, there was a few like indoor, you know, like jump zones and indoor playgrounds. And so we would usually take the kids to something like that, where they could, have activity, they look forward to it, they have fun, and then April and I could connect. And so that would be the kind of noon. And then there would be like a quiet time in the afternoon when we came home. And so, you know, we everyone would kind of would train our kids to kind of have a, you know, an hour or two of just R and R. And and that could also include like a a show if need be. Um and and so we would let them watch something and um and then in the evening we would do, sometimes we do this rhythm I described, like have childcare and then April and I would go out for our, our weekly date night. And so that was more what it would look like during that, that stage. Jeremy, did you save, one of the problems I have, especially for a lot of us who might be working from home or have more time at home now that, you know, COVID and the kind of the world's shifted, I have a little bit of ADD and child at heart in me. So sometimes I just want to go do fun things during the week with my kids were yeah. you intentional about saving those things for Sabbath so that it really felt special and set aside? Yeah, 
There were certain places, I would say, like one of the things that the first thing that it says that was holy was the seventh day. And, you know, the word holy means set apart. So I I joke all the time with my kids that if they light that sage and citrus Yankee candle any other day of the week, I'm like, wow, that's holy. Like that's for the (laughs) Sabbath. You can't do that. So I would say that that's the, the real purpose behind having like, you know, that concept of being set apart so that your soul has a reaction that's appropriate to the spiritual reality Mm because we're very embodied creatures. And so a lot of times we think that, you know, we're just abstract and we can just immediately understand these things. So yeah, to get to your question, Jared, I think it's really important to set aside or set apart. The word holy means set apart, set apart places, scents, lights, like plates, dishes, certain foods, you know, whatever, like that's an iterative process. But yeah, I would say like, if you find a spot, it doesn't mean, of course, you can't take your kids out during the week, but it does mean it might like another example is, so me and April both really introverted and we were, you know, teaching a lot of our friends in our community that have young children that are very extroverted, actually how they recharge is to be around other people. And so there became this really cool in the winter rhythm that a lot of people in our community started doing where they would all descend on some like indoor, like for a while, it was this huge brewery in town that had like this, like, you know, massive, like all these games and everything. And so they'd all go there for a whole, for a couple of years, there was a, a business that we owned that had like in the center of the business, you know, there was just a lot of, it was kind of like a gathering room, with lots of couches and, you know, different screens. And so they would all go there for like two or three hours and their kids would all play in the middle while they all connected and got all their extroverted energy during side conversations. But again, those were places that were set apart for the Sabbath. And so their kids would be like looking forward to it. And and so creating those traditions, I find that when you think about, and this is true for any holiday that you want to start, it's, I think it's really in our culture, the best way to really understand some of this stuff is actually to think about Christmas. So much of what, when we say there's a spirit of Christmas, or I love that time of year, the feeling of the vibe, what you're actually experiencing is not Christmas. It's the power of tradition. And we just have so few traditions left that, and we have so many around that one holiday that, and so like, we only want to listen to those songs on Christmas. We only do red and green around Christmas. We only, and so all of that setting apart, setting apart, setting apart creates over rhythms and cycles, a magical experience. And, and so that, you want to create that around the Sabbath if you can and setting things apart, places apart, will start to do that for your kid. Now, what's really weird is as an adult, you're not going to have nearly the experience your kids are having. In other words, if you got introduced to Christmas when you were 27, when you're 29, it's not going to feel that magical to you. You're like, what are we doing? Like, why wouldn't I just play this song any time of the year? Why don't we just do red and green all the time? Like, you don't realize what's going on. Your kids are have are they're, you're building a magical experience for them. And they're going to feel it. Like if you are careful to steward those traditions around that one experience, and you'll eventually get there, you know, 10 years later, it'll start to feel magical to you too. That's an an annual rhythm with Sabbath, it can happen a lot faster. But yeah, that's one of the things you're stewarding. We just need to understand that when you're building traditions and for your family, then that's how you make it epic feeling for them is really by setting things apart. It really isn't necessarily doing something crazy weird, but it's having things that feel very associated tightly with that event. 
I love it, man. That uh, That's so helpful. It's very, very practical. I love the idea of the plates. I even kind of love the idea of like awkward plates. Like I feel yeah. like I just want to go like look for the clearance <laughs> bin plates. And, yeah, go to the thrift store or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. That's a fun idea. One of the questions I had was, the blessing that you talked about, you you said when you were in Jerusalem, you heard it got quiet, and the only thing you could hear was fathers blessing their their sons. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Is blessing part of your Sabbath routine? And yeah, were they saying the same blessings every time? I love that idea. But can you unpack that a yes, little bit? Totally. Yeah, this is one of those things that is so rich in the scriptures, right? There's lots of talk about blessing, you know, and you see. Abraham blessing Isaac and Isaac blessing Esau and Jacob and Jacob blessing his 12 sons. The whole chapter, Genesis 49, Jacob blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, Genesis 48. So it's a huge part of the scriptures, but as Christians, it's a huge part of Jewish culture, but in Christian culture, it's kind of hit or miss. So yeah, I would really encourage you. And the way that I think about blessings on this during the Sabbath dinner is the first thing is when you come to my Sabbath table, you are your family identity. So you're a son or daughter, a mother or father, a grandfather or grandmother. And even if you're like not a part of our family, you're a son or daughter. We're a family. This is a family table. We're going to experience our family-ness at this table during this two hours, this during dinner and cleanup and whatever we do afterwards. You're going to embody that. A lot of people don't have a chance. To, like, there's a lot of talk about how families should eat together. But usually when we're talking about weekday evening dinners, it's sort of like a quick catch-up time before we all run off and do our homework and you know crush Netflix or whatever. But you want to have like this family meal that you enter into your fatherhood during that meal. You experience it. And I think the blessings are, are is a great portal into that. And so what we do is we get everybody around the table and I just like, I'll say, hey guys, what day is it? What's going on here? Why are these cool plates and weird candles out here? And kids are like, it's the Sabbath. Yeah. It's, what does that mean? Yeah, that's a weird, you know, they say Shabbat. Our kids oftentimes will use that word. That's the Hebrew word for Sabbath. What does that mean? It means to cease. So I, I ask questions, you know, we have like interactive. If there's people at the table that, you know, I've never heard of this before, they get to learn about the Sabbath. And I'm training my kids about what that is just through basic questions like that. And then I bring up the candle in a traditional Jewish Sabbath. The mother always lights the candle and the candle signifies that the Sabbath has begun. And it's time to stop. And the reason why the mother always lights the candle is because she's going to have the hardest time ceasing when she's in, in her in the home if she's does a lot of the work there. And that's kind of traditionally the way it is in Jewish culture. And so April will take the candle and she will bless, you know, the Lord, not the candle, but she blesses the Lord. And you know, we have different blessings that you know I've written or we say, or you she could half time she makes it up based on the conversation that just happened. She's like, oh God, we bless you for giving us a day of rest and for loving us enough to send your son and, you know, to be the light of the world and bam, you know, so she lights the candle. And then the first thing she says is Shabbat Shalom, you know, which is, that's the traditional. And then we sing this crazy song. You can look it up online. It's the the whole song of Shabbat Shalom, but it's a really fun song and the kids love it and they pound on the table and it's like, it's very, very ruckus. And we scare anybody who's new to our family and they think we're really weird. So we always have to warn them, guys, we're going to sing a crazy song. You know, don't think we're too weird. So so once that's done, as soon as that's done, they pat on the table and then it gets quiet. And the next thing I say is, has God blessed our family with any sons? And then all the sons jump up, you know, whoever's. And so if my dad's there, he will do the blessing and he'll bless me as a son. 
when my my uh, father-in-law was was there, he would you know they'd take turns. He he died a few years ago. So the oldest member of the family will put his hands on all the sons. And there's a traditional Jewish blessing over the sons, which is may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh, which is incredibly deep. I wish I had a half an hour to unpack why, but the book of Hebrews talks about why that's so epic in Hebrews 11. But and what happened in Genesis 48 around that blessing, the culmination of everything God was trying to teach Israel in the book of Genesis. So he says, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And then I wrote this little sort of more New Testament at the end may give you the faith of Abraham, the heart of David, and the righteousness of Christ as you build our family from generation to generation. So I wrote that on cards. And so when I, my parents were kind of like, what is this weird thing? There's a whole other conversation going to talk about how to involve parents. That took us a long time. Our parents definitely thought we were weird for a while. And now it's the absolute favorite thing to do so that we've been over that hump. But so my dad does that. And then we ask, has God blessed our family with any daughters? And then all the daughters get up. We've got four daughters in our family. So they all run up and they get in a circle and they put, you know, their hands on each other. And the oldest matriarch of the family, you know, puts her hands and she says, may God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. May she give you the, the heart of Ruth, the faith of Mary and the righteousness of Christ as you build our family from generation to generation. And so in that moment, you have all the continuity of the generations. You have the feeling of the, the matriarch, patriarch of the family blessing. And everyone feels that I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I belong you know, at this table. So it's like you're creating that, that feeling of belonging. And so, and that's, that's how we kick it off. Man, I feel like emotional just picturing that scene and just how powerful that is. Uh, it just it makes me emotional thinking about that. It also makes me want to come to your house and experience Sabbath with you because it just is like, that's so, I, how cool is that, dude? Like that your kids are experiencing that. And, that, and I, I love that you have said many times you know, that you kind of stumbled your way through this for years and years and years. Cause I think that's where a lot of us with young kids where we'd feel, but even just starting that like that for, for me, what, what the picture you just painted kind of sets a goal for me, you know, and a dad 20 years from now, that's the kind of evenings I want. That's the kind of Friday night into Saturday or Saturday or whatever, you know, that's the kind of 24 hour traditions I want to be having with my family too. Just for the sake of time, we'll wrap up here, but Jeremy, man, so, so helpful. Any last thoughts from any guys here? Any, anything you guys want to ask before we, we wrap up here? I just had a quick question. Jeremy, you kind of mentioned about getting through kind of those roadblocks and setting it up. And it took like 10 years and a decade to kind of get it to where you wanted to. How do you push through or put new things in perspective to kind of solidify what you want in that plan? Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's good to have a vision. Like I think Jared, you just said, like, you know, that having that picture, one of the visions that I had that kept me going was what's the kind of meal that we could have every week that when my kids have kids, they will, number one, absolutely want to be there. Like they will like, we want to be at that table. And number two, that they would not be able to help doing with their kids. Cause I want this to pierce the generations for, for me, a huge part. And, you know, Jared knows I wrote a whole book on this called family revision, which is for a lot of this for me stirred up in the question of why don't Christian families try to build multi-generational families anymore? Like why was that? Why was Abraham obsessed with multi-generational families and Christian families are like dissolve after usually one or two generations. And so anyway, anyway, I got, I went deep into that, but one of the things that, that I was looking for was a tool that would create a multi-generational family. I'm telling you guys, if you do this, if you have an Epic Sabbath dinner 
that your kids love, then I don't think you can stop a multi-generational family from happening. Like this tool is that powerful. If you look at Jewish families, a lot of times they don't they, they don't even have a vision in their mind that they want to have a multi-generational family, but they keep the Sabbath and they create this meal and they just, you know, what do you do? Every single week you're showing up and there's grandpa, you know, telling family stories, blessing the sons and, and there's grandma. There's like, you know, we do this once or twice a year, maybe Christmas and Thanksgiving. They do it every week. And so, so for me, that was the vision that kept me going was like, I want my family to be connected multi-generationally. I believe this tool is powerful enough to create that multi-generational connection. It is definitely working, I would say. That was for me what got me through. The other thing that I would say that's just really practical is that it's so important. I I mentioned having a meeting with your wife and, you know, talking about like what was life-giving. And this is definitely true about the meal or about a day of rest if you guys try to establish that. So have the vision, like what do we want? Like we want a multi-generational meal. For me, I wanted a, an epic meal that my kids would would want to go to when they're adults with their kids. That's the first thing. And the second thing is I wanted a day of rest where my soul felt recharged every week. And so those are my th- that was my vision. And then I would ask friends, I would read books. There's a book by Abraham Joshua Heschel called The Sabbath. It's it'll blow your mind. It's it's one of the most incredible books on the Sabbath. The Jews have been trying to figure this out for 5000 years. So why not learn something there? Even if you know, you're worried that, oh, I don't, I'm not trying to be Jewish, man, they've done an incredible job of stewarding this resource. So dive into some of that, some of those resources, and then you just iterate your way there, but you do have to have a why that's really powerful. It's really easy to forget about this and to go on to the next thing. And for us, our whys were just too powerful to move on from this thing. And that's what helped us get through, you know, some of the really hard seasons where it felt like, why do we just do this? The kids are screaming. The kid just threw his plate, you know, off the high chair. And like, this is a joke. And, you know, like we definitely had those moments. Everybody does when they're trying to figure this out. And you got to push through that stuff because you got you got to remember that, that if you want a really vivid picture of this, Psalm 128 actually answers the question, what is the good life? And it's an incredible Psalm. And it's, it, he, it, it, he, what the Psalmist is saying there is, is may you live to see your children like olive shoots around your table. You know, may you live to see your children's children. It's like, it paints this picture of this epic table, this grandfather at this table, seeing his grandchildren. Like you have to see that picture and say, I want to build that. I want to have that experience. I want to be that grandfather or that grandmother someday. And then this is how you get there. You got to build up the skill of the table. You got to have a table where you learn how to, Make a nice meal, sit down, have a great, great meal where the generations are honored and when you're where each generation feels like they love it. And man, that's not easy. That's not easy to figure that out. So, but that's what we're aiming for. And I think, you know, you can get there. I think get there a lot faster than we did. We really didn't have very many resources. We felt fairly alone in a lot of this. And so we were trying things and we went down some dead ends. But but I, I've seen a lot of families figure this out. This is so good, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeremy, for uh, yeah. just dropping in. You're, you're amazing, man. You just like go through your work and then pop in and just drop a, a bunch of cool. I feel like you just wrote a book I love this topic. in 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, so, so good, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.